0: Thank you. Thank you, Brother Scott. Thank you, Sister Shannon and the worship team. That was beautiful this morning. Praise the Lord. Happy Father's Day to everybody. It's a good day. I got uh, one of my, is my daughter here? She is. Crystal's here with Sadie Rose, so that's a blessing to have them in church. That's a great Father's Day gift to me that you'd be here with me today. Praise the Lord. Do we have the slides? Yeah. Is it up? Yeah. It's not in the back. They'll <sighs> fix that. Anyway, it's a, the it's a responsibility of the father to love his family, provide, protect his family, and provide for his family. And uh, that's a hard job. People take fathers for granted sometimes. So if you have an opportunity just to do something special for your dad today. You should do it because it's a uh, an awesome thing that we do in this country to acknowledge one day a year that our fathers are special. Yes. So, happy Father's Day to everyone. Thank you, Sister Shannon, for the gift. We appreciate that. Oh, it's not from me. <laughs> it's not from you. All right. The clicker's not working, that doesn't surprise me. Anyway, Jesus was a master storyteller and he told parables. When you look at the teachings of Jesus, you realize that he wove parables through everything he taught. And he taught many, many, many parables and he could tell a story like nobody else. And what he was doing was always teaching lessons through stories. So we're gonna look at the parable today that will reveal the Father's heart. This is Father's Day, so I want you thinking about God your Father and the heart of the Father. Next, please. There's two groups of people in Luke 15. If you turn in your Bibles, if you brought your Bible, if not, you can look on the screen. Luke 15. Verse 1 says, Then all the tax collectors and the sinners drew near to him to hear him. And the Pharisees and scribes complained, saying, This man receives sinners and eats with them. So he spoke this parable to them, saying, So Jesus was hanging out with sinners, tax collectors, prostitutes, riffraff, the sinners, the people that the religious people looked down on. And they looked down on him so bad that it offended them that Jesus was hanging out with them. So this parable contrasts these two groups of people. We're meant to compare and contrast these two groups of people with the parable. The parable is about the sinners and the religious people, the Pharisees and the scribes. So when you look at the parable, it's not just the parable of the prodigal son, it's the parable of the two lost sons it's a quite a big mistake a lot of preachers make when they just preach the first part of the parable because the real purpose of the parable was for the Pharisees to see themselves in the story. So it's about these two groups of people. Let's read it. Well, he first taught the parable of the lost sheep. Then he taught the parable of the lost coin, Then he teaches a parable of the two lost sons, starting in verse 11. Then he said, A certain man had two sons, and the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the portion of goods that falls to me. So he divided to them his livelihood. And not many days after, the younger son gathered together, journeyed to a far country, and there wasted his possessions with prodigal living, but when he had spent all, there rose a severe famine in the land, and he began to be in want. Then he went and joined himself to a citizen of that country, and he sent him into his fields to feed swine. And he would gladly have filled his stomach with the pods that the swine ate, and no one gave him anything. Next slide, please. But when he came to himself, he said, how many of my father's hired servants have bread enough and to spare and I perish with hunger I will arise and go to my father and will say to him father I have sinned against heaven and before you and I'm no longer worthy to be called your son make me like one of your hired servants and he arose and came to his father but when he was still a great way off his father saw him and had compassion and ran and fell on his neck and kissed him and the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight, and I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Bring out the best robe and put it on him, and put a ring on his hand and sandals on his feet, and bring the fatted calf here and kill it, and let us eat and be merry. For this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found, and they began to be merry." Now his older son was in the field, and as he came and drew near to the house, he heard music and dancing. So he called one of the servants and asked him what these things meant. And he said to him, Your brother is come, and because he has received him safe and sound, your father has killed the fatted calf. But he was angry and would not go in. Therefore his father came out and pleaded with him. So he answered and said to his father, "'Lo, these many years I've been serving you. "'I've never transgressed your commandment at any time, "'and yet you never gave me a young goat "'that I might make merry with my friends. "'But as soon as this son of yours came, "'who has devoured your livelihood with harlots, "'you killed the fatted calf for him. "'And he said to him, "'Son, you're always with me, and all that I have is yours.' It was right that we should make merry and be glad for your brother was dead and is alive again and was lost and is found. What a great story. Jesus could tell a story like nobody else. And in all the parables, there's great hidden meaning there. And what you learn from this parable basically is every human idea about how to connect with God is wrong. God has a God idea about how to connect with God. There's a way to connect with God through the truth, through Jesus Christ. But every human idea all over the world about how to connect with God is wrong. The other thing we learn here is the door is always wide open for a sinner to come home. If there's someone that's living the life of a prodigal son or daughter, God's got his door open for you, the Father, and he wants you to come home. And the door's also open for the self-righteous moralist to come home. God's opened the door for both. Next, please. Act one is the prodigal son. We understand that the son's very dissatisfied. There's a hole in our heart that's empty that wants to be satisfied. And I don't know about you, but I looked in the world. I went out into the world and deep into the world, trying to fill the hole in my heart, trying to find satisfaction. And this was the problem of the younger son. He was just living there with his father and his brother, and he was dissatisfied. He was looking for something. The old country song says, looking for love in all the wrong places. (laughs) So he was gonna set out and try to find the answer to get this hole in his heart filled. So he said, give me my share of the estate. Now, the way it was in that culture back then, the older son got two thirds and the younger son got a third because the older son got a double portion of all the rest of the kids. So in this case, it would be two thirds and one third. So he's asking the father, he's saying, I, I want my stuff now, but I don't want you. He's very disrespectful to the father. Basically, it's to wish him dead. He could care less about the father. He just wanted the father's stuff. He wanted his inheritance. So he demanded it. He demanded the inheritance. He wants the father's things, wealth and money, but doesn't want the father. In that culture, what, uh, 2,000 years ago, back in that eastern world they lived in, it would have been appropriate for the father just to violently drive the son out of the house for behaving in such a way. What the son was doing was unthinkable. It was unheard of. No, nobody would ask for your, your inheritance up front like that. But the father didn't. He, he went and sold one-third of his land, and he endured the rejection of the son. So the boy was deceived. He thought leaving home would make him happy. He wanted to enjoy life. He wanted to enjoy the pleasures of sin. Next, please. So he departs and spends all his money. He delights in the pleasure of sin. Sin looks really good at first. How many know sin will lie to you? It it has a shine on it. There's a a false glory to it and it makes people do stupid things in life. And uh, we've all been there and done that. Sin will lie to you. It's, It's deceitful. But he was delighting in the pleasures of sin for a season. He enjoyed the prostitutes. He was probably drinking and drugging. No telling gambling, no telling what he was doing out there. But we know he went through the money in a short period of time. He squandered all the money, lost all his money, all his friends, he lost everything. He he reached a place of despair. He was in a pig pen. He was feeding the swine and didn't even have food to eat himself, and all he could eat was a food they fed the pigs. So he, now this, this delighting in sin now changed its tune and it turned into despair. Once he lost everything, he had nothing. He had, had no more money to enjoy the pleasures of life that he was out there trying to enjoy. It will leave you disillusioned, sin will. The Bible says the wages of sin is death. But the gift of God's eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. The Bible says a soul that sinneth shall surely die. It kills, kills your dreams. It, it's death to happiness, to peace, to security. So the Bible says this boy comes to himself. He that's where when you're working with people out in the world and you're trying to help them, and you're trying to help them, and you're doing everything you can for them, you realize you can't do one thing for that person until that person hits rock bottom and finally comes to himself. This is what happened to the prodigal son. He He had had enough of it. He didn't want the world anymore, what it offered. So he came to himself, and he went home. He humbled himself and started his journey home. What he realized that this this home speaks of relationship with the Father. When I talk about going home in this parable, going home to your relationship with the Heavenly Father, that's, that's what home speaks of. So the door's open for all sinners to come home to the Father. He went to the Father and said, won't you make me as one of your hired hands? Just make me like a servant and I'll pay you back. He had a plan. He said, I'd send against heaven and against you, so just make me a hired hand. And the father would have none of that. The Father didn't want his plan. The father just had his open door and his arms wide open, ready to receive his son. So the son repented. He got a new attitude. He went home. Next slide, please. The heart of the father. You got to think about the father's heart in this whole story. The first thing we see, the heart was wounded. The, the boy had left him, had rejected him, he didn't want his love, didn't want his presence. He just wanted his stuff. A lot of people just want stuff from God. They could care less about God. They just want the stuff. They just want to be blessed. So the f- father endured the son's rejection. Then he wondered about him continually like we would as a parent. He waited patiently for him watching for him never giving up on him if you've wandered away from god you got to understand this whole time you've been wandering god's just waiting for you watching waiting wondering when you're going to come back home he's wa- the door's open for you to come back home whosoever will let him come he wanted to return he wanted him to return home soon he wanted him back no matter what If you're separated from God today, he wants you back. Now, the father didn't go out to get him. He let him make his own choices. He let him experience the pain of sin, but the father just waited at home with the door open, wanting the son to come back. The father saw him, and when he saw him coming home, the father did something really strange. (coughs) Excuse me, he ran toward him. You wouldn't do this in that culture either. A mother might run or kids might run, but a patriarchal father wouldn't lift his robe and run after a son. So the picture here is against the natural custom of the day, but in Jesus' story, the father ran to the son. As soon as he saw him coming home, as soon as he saw him just walking steps toward home, the father went out to get him at that point and ran after him. He had compassion on him, and he kissed him. He fell on his neck, which speaks of the will, and he kissed him, and he loved on him. And then he said, bring me the finest robe I have, and I'm not going to wait for my son to get cleaned up, I'm just going to put a robe on him and cover up all of his dirt. God doesn't wait, you don't have to get cleaned up before you come to God, you come to God just as you are. You just come to God and he'll put his robe on you. He'll put the robe of righteousness of Jesus Christ on you and cover you, from, which covers all your sin, cleanses all your sin. So he put a robe on him, then he put a ring on his finger, he put sandals on his feet, and he killed the fatted calf and said, let's have a party. We're going to have a feast. This is going to be a feast like no other feast. For my son was once was lost, but now he's found. He was dead, but now he's alive again. So just like in the parable of the lost sheep, in the parable of the lost coin, it talks about how all the angels in heaven rejoice when one sinner comes home. So the Father's heart, next slide please, you'll see that it is full of forgiveness, acceptance, restoration, and rejoicing. <coughs> the Father's heart, full of forgiveness, no matter how far you... You've gone into sin. The Bible says where sin abounded, grace did much more abound. So the deeper you've gone into sin, let me tell you something. God's got grace that will go deeper than that to rescue you out of that pit of sin. God, the Bible says if we confess our sin, he's faithful and just to forgive us of our sin and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So the Father's heart's a heart of forgiveness. I can't tell you how many people I talk to that say they've been so bad that God would never forgive them, or they've done so wrong they can't ever get back in right relationship with God. <clears throat> Thank you. I got a bug in my throat. Not really. Yeah, not really. Got something in there. Not only does the Father have a heart of forgiveness, but he has a heart of acceptance. Again, you don't have to get straightened up before you come to God. You come as you are. God will love you and accept you just the way you are. So maybe you don't have those addictions broken yet. Maybe you don't have everything all cleaned up yet. Maybe you're not perfect yet. Let me tell you something. God accepts you and loves you just the way you are. And the door is open for you to come back home. And then he'll restore everything that the devil tried to destroy. He'll restore it. He'll restore your peace of mind again. He'll restore your dignity, your self-worth. He'll restore everything that the devil tried to tear up. And then there's rejoicing in the heart of the Father every time a sinner comes home. This makes him happy. Nothing can make the Father any happier than seeing one of his lost lambs turn around and walk back home. Next, please. So now we look at act two, that was act one, prodigal son. Act two is about the elder brother. Half the story is about the older brother. Again, this speaks to the religious people, the scribes and the Pharisees, Jesus was trying to teach them something because they were looking down on Jesus because he was hanging out with sinners, hanging out with the wrong crowd, they couldn't understand this. this. the guy who says he's a holy man's hanging out with sinners. How can this be? They were looking down their nose at the sinners. Well, what he's trying to say is that the elder brother is just as lost as the younger brother, just in a different way. See, this guy was angry at the father. The father gave his brother the fatted calf. Now, that was a real delicacy in that day and age. You might kill a goat or a kid or a lamb. But a fatted calf was the most expensive thing that you could do. So, for the father to kill a fatted calf and have a feast for the whole community to come and enjoy, that was a big deal. So, the, it made the elder brother furious. This was the greatest day in the father's life. But while the father was rejoicing, his older son was furious at him, was angry at him, he was full of wrath. He said, look, all these years I've been serving you. This is where he got it wrong right here. The father wants a father-son or father-daughter relationship with you. He's not interested in this servant relationship with you. It goes way, it gets way better than that. He wants a relationship like a father has with his son. But the elder brother looked at it like he had been serving him all this time. And he said, I've never broken your commandments. <clears throat> the Bible says if you've offended in one point, if you've broken the law in one point, you're guilty of breaking the whole thing. Right. And the Bible says all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Right. Yeah. So for him to say I've never broken a commandment is just blindness, is right. self-righteousness. Yeah. He's so self-justified in his mind he doesn't he didn't have a list of things that he to repent of. He had never done anything wrong. Some people are so morally good that they can't see themselves. They don't see themselves as a sinner in need of a Savior. They don't see themselves in need of Jesus. In fact, because they don't sin, they're avoiding Jesus by trying to keep the commandments and not sinning instead of seeing their need for Jesus. Let me tell you, even if you're the best moralist on the planet, you need Jesus just as much as a prodigal son needed Jesus. We all need Jesus. Every one of us needs Jesus. But he said, look, all these years I've been serving you and I've never broken your commandments, he publicly humiliated his father by refusing to go into the feast. He said, I've never disobeyed you. He was self-righteous. The self-righteous is a scary thing because it's blind. The Pharisees didn't see they were self-righteous. They didn't understand they were self-righteous. They were blind to it. The father said, my son, I still want you inside. Here you are with this nasty attitude. You're you serving me instead of loving me working for me instead of adoring me. All you really are, you're angry because your estate has been diminished some, and here I've killed a fatted calf, and you're angry about that. It shows me you don't love me for who I am, but you love me for my stuff, or for the status or the wealth that you can get from me. A lot of people love God for what they can get out of God. They love God for the blessings that come with the deal instead of loving God just for God. So the father's heart had to be broken here. And he said, son, I still want you inside. The elder son cares about the father's things but doesn't care about the father. <clears throat> Next, please. So two acts, the first act, we, get a, we look at a very traditional look of sin, the prodigal son. We all understand that kind of sin. and We understand that kind of forgiveness. But in the second act, Jesus has turned the tables and he he changes this thing. He, 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 he wants you to see sin in a different light. He wants you to redefine the definition of sin. Both sons have been alienated from the Father. One has been very good and one has been very bad. Both want the Father's things, but not the Father. They didn't love the Father. One has done this by being very bad. The other has done it by being very good. The, young, the thing keeping the elder brother from the father is his goodness, his self-righteousness. Listen at this. The younger brother was trying to get control by leaving and disobeying by breaking all the rules. The elder brother was trying to control the father or trying to get control by staying and obeying by keeping all the rules. They were both trying to control the Father. They were both only concerned about the Father's things or what they could get from the Father. Both were lost. Both were alienated from the Father. Next, please. So Jesus does three things. He redefines God, He redefines sin, and He redefines salvation. What I mean when I say he redefines God, He starts calling God Father. This is where you pick this up in the Bibles. Jesus is one that taught us to talk to God as a Father. In the Lord's Prayer, our Father, he said, pray, our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Jesus called God the Father many, many, many times all through the Gospels. You'll read this. So he redefines God by instead of God being this big guy with a long white beard and a s- ugly stick ready to hit you over the head every time you mess up. He redefines that and he re- de- he defines him as a loving father who's loving and long-suffering and kind and forgiving and generous, gracious, and merciful. God the Father, not God the patriarch, that's gonna hit you with an ugly stick and beat you down every time you make a mistake. That's not the kind of relationship a father has with his child. The father's always encouraging the child, wanting the child to do better, forgiving the child when he stumbles. The father's supporting the child and building the child up. And that's an earthly father. Let me tell you something, your heavenly father is perfect. Can you imagine the real Relationship that he wants with you. He wants to see you as his son or his daughter, and he wants to just encourage you. His plans for you are prosperous and not evil. Yes. He, he wants to build you up. He wants to bless you. Yes. He wants to give to you. He wants, to, he wants the best for you, not the worst. God wants pleasure for you, not pain. God, God's trying to help you, not hurt you. He's trying to define you, your identity in him, not destroy you like the enemy would. The devil comes to steal, kill, and destroy, and God comes that he might give you life and life abundantly. So so God the Father, Jesus redefines God, and he calls God a father. Then he redefines sin. You've got to understand, both sons are lost, both are alienated from the Father's heart. The prodigal and the elder brother are lost here. Each used the father to get what they really loved, status and wealth. One was very good, one was very bad, but they both were lost. In the end, the bad son was saved and the good son was lost. He was proud of his goodness. He was self-righteous. He thought he had never disobeyed God. So the beginning of parable, there were two groups of people, sinners and religious people. Now, we want to think that the good are in and the bad are out. But that's not what this parable is teaching at all. It was the bad one that got saved and the good one that wound up lost, still outside of the house. Jesus is, is turning this thing upside down. Again, we think, I can't tell you him, what percentage of the world thinks that if they're just good people, that they're going to go to heaven. These are what you call moralists. They live good, clean lives. The religions are full of them. There's all kind of cults full of these kind of people. These people that are living, many of these systems of belief teach that the better life you live, the greater reward you have in heaven. So they live good, clean, moral lives. But let me tell you something. Jesus said these type people are just as lost as the prodigal sons. They're just as lost. For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. The soul that sinneth shall surely die. They're just as lost. So he says, we want to think the good are saved and the bad are lost. And Jesus is flipping that upside down on us. Next. (laughs) There's two ways to try to connect with God or two ways to try to make things right. Or I could say two ways to try to find peace and fulfillment and happiness. And these are the two groups again. We could use these words, moral conformity or self-discovery. Again, that's the younger son and the older son. The older son being the moral conformist and the younger son who experienced self-discovery. He went out to explore the world And he came to the end of himself. He's the one that got saved, not the moralist. Jesus says, you're both wrong, both are lost. Religious people say the good are in, the bad are out, but it's the humble that are in and the proud that are out. It's the people that they know that needs God's grace that are in. Two ways to be your Savior and Lord. Two ways to try to get control of the Father's stuff. Living a very bad life or living a very good life? Both were trying to control. If you obey God and try to please God just to get God to bless you, you think God owes you a blessing because you live such a good, clean life, then you need to take a look at yourself and ask yourself if you're an elder brother. We need to love God just for God. We need to obey God and please God and serve God just, just so we have God in our life. It's a relationship with our Father. We have a seat at the Father's table. We can sit down and eat with our Heavenly Father and love on our Heavenly Father and receive from our Heavenly Father. Not because He's going to give me stuff and bless me, but just because He's God. Yeah. Amen. Hope y'all see that. Religious people obey God to get things. Gospel people obey God to get God, to love him, to delight in him, to obey him. Elder brother was judgmental. He was angry. He thought the father owed him. Elder brother obeys the father to get stuff, not out of love. He did not love his father. He was angry because his estate was diminishing, and the father killed the fatted calf, and he was furious at the father so obviously he didn't care about the father he cared about the stuff next please the third thing Jesus redefined God he redefined sin then he redefined salvation and he said moral conformity or self-discovery leads to self-justification which is being your own savior and lord or trying to control things trying to control God Either way, moral conformity or self-discovery. If both have the root motive in trying to control God, then the motive's wrong. Being religious or irreligious, both groups are lost. Most people think the good are in, the bad are out. So in this story, both are outside the house. The father goes outside the house for both of them. He, He went out the house to get the prodigal son, put the robe on him to bring him in, and the prodigal son came in the house. And the story of the elder brother, he was outside. The father had to go outside of the feast to talk to this angry elder brother. And the elder brother, he couldn't talk him in. The younger son went in. The elder son never went back in the house. Again, going in the house speaks of a relationship with the father. So being religious or irreligious, Both can be wrong. Most people think the good are in, the bad are out. In this story, both are outside the house. The Gospel says, come back home just as you are and repent of your sins and give your life to Jesus Christ, the one who died in your place. Whether you're a moralist or self-discovery, prodigal son or daughter, God says, just come back home. Just come back home, repent of your sins Give your life to Christ and come back home. Next, please. There's three things we need to do to be saved. We need the initiating love of the Father. We can't ever be saved without the Father's initiating love. Jesus said, no man comes to the Father except through me, and no man comes to me unless the Father draws him. So the Father has to be drawing you. So we have to have the initiating love of the Father. You'll never seek Him unless He first seeks you. The Father went out to both sons to bring them in. Now Jesus knew that the Pharisees, the religious people, were going to try to kill Him. He knew they would succeed in this, that they would kill Him. And yet He was still, still begging the elder son to come back home, to come inside the house. So we need the initiating love of the Father. We need to learn how to repent of something beside our list of sins. Now the prodigal son had a whole long list of sins that he could repent of. He he knew what he had done wrong. He knew knew what was wrong, what was right. He repented of his sins. The elder brother didn't have a list of sins. He didn't have anything to repent of. Now he should have had self-righteousness on the top of his list, but he was blind to that should have had self-justification on his list. But he couldn't see that he was trying to justify himself. He was blind to his goodness was his problem. So if you're a religious, a moral conformist, or a real religious person who's never sinned, you don't have anything to repent of, then you need to repent of the very reason that you did a good thing. What was your motive? Were you trying to control God? Were you trying to get God to bless you? How are you going to come back in the house? Only through repentance. The only way you can ever get right with God is to repent of your sins. And ask Jesus Christ to cleanse you of your sins. Cleanse you from all unrighteousness. So you have to repent of something. So you need something other than the list to repent of. I wrote it this way. A Christian has learned to repent for reasons he did anything good. Repent of the self-righteousness itself. The reason a moralist does things right are self-justification and the desire to control God. So, Jesus has redefined sin and he's saying here we need to repent of something except the list. Go deeper. Go deeper in your motives. What, are you a self-righteous person? Are you a, have you self-justified yourself? Are y'all following what I'm saying there? Alright. And then we need to be melted and moved for what it costs God to bring us home. So elder brother's angry and uh, Jesus is showing the Pharisees what they look like. Elder brother should have brought the younger brother home. It was the real place of the elder brother. He should have gone and got him, got him out of the pig pen, wrapped his arm around him, brought the boy home all the way to the father. That's the place of the elder brother. So we have a true elder brother and that's Jesus Christ. And our Jesus Christ, what did he do? He went and paid the price for our sins to bring us home. We were lost, we were all undone without Jesus. And Jesus went to the cross and was stripped naked so we could have a robe to cover us. He was stripped naked and bore a crown of thorns and was bruised and beaten at a cross. What was the cost to bring us home? It cost Jesus his life. It cost the Father, his only begotten Son. There was a great cost involved in getting us back home. Jesus was stripped naked so we could be clothed. He paid the debt we owed. Jesus brought us home at a tremendous cost to himself. I'm to read this, Isaiah 53, next slide. Surely he hath borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken. Smitten by God and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgression. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him. And by his stripes we are healed. All we like sheep had gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way. And the Lord laid on him the iniquity of us all. So powerful. Jesus came and took our place. He paid the price. We owed the debt. He paid the debt in full. Jesus Christ, the Bible says here in 2 Corinthians 5:21, my favorite scripture in the Bible, God made him who had no sin to be sin for us, that in him we might become the righteousness of God. God made him who had no sin, he was perfect to be sin. He took all our sin upon himself. So therefore, this is how he became sin, by by bearing the iniquity of us all, by bearing the weight of the sin of every human being. He took it all upon himself at the cross that we might become the righteousness of God. And the application here, next slide. This is my last slide. Moralist and self-discovery are both wrong. The religious and the irreligious are both wrong. <clears throat> you might say, where does that leave me? Well, I hope it leads you on the side of the cross. There's a third group of people that are Christians that are born again. That we obey God and serve God and please God, that we might have a relationship with God, just that we might have God himself. We're not trying to get God's stuff We're just trying to get God. I just want God in my life. I couldn't live without him. I need him every morning that I go pray and I go read my Bible. I I need the presence of God. I need the personal relationship. I need to hear his voice. That's part of a relationship with him. The Bible says, my sheep hear my voice and they follow me. So moralism and self-discovery, both those avenues are wrong. So most, that, that covers most of the world's thinking about how to connect with God, is in one of those two camps. And both look down on the other camp. The self-discovery people look at the religious people and say, oh, they're terrible. That's, they're, they're what's wrong with the world. And the religious people look down on the self-discovery people and they say, they're, they're what's wrong with the world. They're. But there's just two different ideologies, both trying to connect with God, both trying to find happiness and fulfillment and satisfaction and neither one can find it because it's not there. All that's only found in Jesus Christ. So this parable is really about the elder brother, the Pharisees. Are you mad at God? Are you mad at people today? Are you angry? If you're angry, you might wanna look at that and see what are you really angry about. The elder brother was furious at God the Father. The main thing between us and God is our goodness, our good works. We need to learn to lay all our goodness down at the foot of the cross. Let me say that again. We need to learn to lay—you say, well, I thought we laid our badness down at the foot of the cross. You do. You lay your sins down at the foot of the cross. But our goodness, our good works with wrong motives can be the very thing keeping you from God. So you need to learn to lay your goodness down at the foot of the cross. Gospel-loving Christians obey God just to have God, not for stuff. And finally, Jesus wants us to see ourself in this story. If I could have a musician, uh, piano player, and Shannon, if y'all could come real quick. We'll close. I just want to close with a time of prayer. The, uh, as they come, in the end, the lover of prostitutes is saved, and the religious person is the one lost. You want to, you would hope that Jesus would end the story and tell us what happened to the elder brother, <laughs> but he kind of left it, made a cliffhanger here. He kind of left it, left us in the dark because we really don't know what happened. But the way the story ends is that the lover of prostitutes was saved and the elder brother was lost. He was still outside the house. Salvation's free to us, but it had enormous cost to God. Enormous cost to God. We talk about grace is free. Grace is cheap. You know, gra- no grace isn't cheap at all. The, the cost was amazing. Enormous to the Father. Enormous for he had to give his only begotten son, Jesus Christ. So Jesus went to the cross and poured out his life for you and I. Why? Because he's the true elder brother who went out to get you to bring you back home. So the Father's door is open wide today, and he's inviting everybody to come back home. If you're a prodigal son or a prodigal daughter, or if you're a religious moralist, either way, you're outside the house. God wants you to come inside. The door's open to come back into the Father's house. So why don't we stand to our feet, and let's bow our heads and... Heavenly Father, in the name of Jesus, I thank you for the story of the two lost sons. And I pray that we learned truth from this today, that our understanding would be enlarged, that we could see ourselves in the story, and we could know how to pray. Lord, if there are prodigals in the building today, people just running from God, I pray pray that you'd reach out and take a step toward them that they could feel your presence that you want them to come home, that you're beckoning them to come home, that you're asking them, that you're begging them to come home come home come back to the Father, come back to a right relationship with God Lord I just pray right now in Jesus name that if there are any prodigals in the building anybody been running from you that they would just walk down this aisle right now so they could get prayer that we could pray for them because I know you want them to come home Lord I pray for the religious moralist for the person doesn't have a list of anything to repent of I pray that you'd work on their hearts and minds and help them see that they need to let go of this self-righteousness and self-justification because we all need you, Jesus. We all need you. I pray these things in the precious name of Jesus.